You know, folks, I, um, I've been a believer now 33 years. Here in a few months, it'll be 34 years. And I can remember when I came to Christ in 1985 and the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ was shared with me and about my need for Christ and, and the forgiveness and the new standing that I have with the Lord. To be very, very honest with you, nobody... I, I, let, me, let, me, let me rephrase that. I very much had the impression that, that everything was supposed to go okay for me now that I know Jesus. Did you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes when you come to church and you go to church, because of the way church is, where I hate to say it, sometimes church, we ha we give off this persona that we're supposed to be perfect, okay? Where uh, everything's perfect, and if you've got problems, you're abnormal. And so in those earlier years, I, I remember very much operating under a false assumption that Everything's supposed to be wonderful, but that's not reality. So very early on, you really come to face to face with the fact that you still suffer and bad things happen. Traumatic things happen. And, and you're like thrown for a loop. Like, well, you know what? Where are you, God? Why aren't you helping me? I thought you were supposed to keep me from this because that's the impression I got with church. In fact, somebody even shared with me, you know, you come to Jesus and everything will be okay. You ever had somebody tell you that? Come to Jesus and everything will be okay. And then you come to Jesus and it doesn't seem to be okay. In fact, it might actually get worse. Like nobody told you at that time there would be people who would be unhappy with you coming to Jesus. Did you understand? So what's happened is, is that we're in the midst of the struggle and we don't know how to deal with it. Because nobody really communicated to us that, that salvation, coming to Jesus isn't just finding forgiveness and isn't just having eternal life later on. It's for now. Jesus is for now. Jesus is for now in the midst of the stuff that I'm going through. And let's be honest, folks, we're going through stuff, right? If you're not going through it this week, just wait a little bit. Tomorrow's coming. Thanks, George. But I mean, that's reality, right? Tomorrow's coming. And, and the reality is, is that we, to be honest with you, are very, especially as you get older, you get very overwhelmed by life. You get very overwhelmed by life. You know, when I was younger, I'll, I'll be honest with you, you might say, well, you were a jerk. Yeah, probably I was a jerk, but I had this attitude like, what's the deal with old people? They get all worked up over stuff. Now I'm getting older. Guess what? I get worked up over stuff. And you know why we get worked up over stuff? We've had a lifetime now of stuff happening. And we're shell-shocked, waiting for the next thing to happen. It's because we're overwhelmed. 
And so I want to make a couple of points here about being overwhelmed, okay? Before we look at what Peter's telling us in this letter. First one is this. We're too weak to face suffering. We're too weak to face it. I mean, so we tell each other, tough it out, you'll get through this. But that really doesn't address it. Just having somebody encourage you and tell you to tough it out, you'll get through this. That's not facing reality. The fact is, is on the inside, you're a mess. If you're not showing it outwardly, you're inwardly a mess. And, and to be honest with you, you're like at a breaking point where it's like, can I really handle this one too? If, if, have you ever said this? If one more thing happens, and guess what? Two more things happen. Right? Two more things happen. We're overwhelmed because the fact of the matter is, and, and, and let me just be honest with you, well, I can stand, George, I can take it. No, you can't. Trust me, something's coming that will knock the legs out from underneath you. And you thought you could handle it. The reality is, is you can't because we're too weak to face suffering. We're too weak. In fact, isn't that, if I were to ask the question, how many of you love suffering? Nobody raises their hand, right? Unless you're unusual, then you can come talk to us as elders and we'll point you in the right direction to get you some help. Do you understand? Because we're weak. We're weak. And we're overwhelmed by it. In fact, brings me to my next point. Here's reality. When we talk about difficulties, hardship, suffering in our life, you got to agree with this one. Our tendency is to give up. I'm done. I'm finished. I can't do anymore. I'm going to lay in bed. Our tendency is to give up. We don't want to go on. There's, you know what? You, you, oh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, it keeps being a train. That's reality of where we're at. And, and here you are, you're in a Christianity where you come and everybody's supposed to be perfect and you're looking at your life and you're saying, well, I must not be a good Christian because my life's not perfect. No, your life is normal. Let's just go ahead and say it. Your life is normal. What you're facing is normal. You're a human being. And human beings are in a fallen world where stuff happens all the time and suffering is real. And you need to realize that. And I think it's wonderful that the Gospels and the New Testament communicate to us that it's real. In fact, uh, you know what, if you, if you ever look in the Bible and you want to see why do we suffer, is there a question for why we suffer, it doesn't give you that answer because the Bible assumes that you're going to suffer. In fact, Peter says several times in, in the first three chapters that you and I are called to suffer, especially because we're believers in Jesus Christ. So he takes a big section of verses, chapter 3 and chapter 4, and he talks about the issue of suffering. So last week we talked about some things about how we're to deal with it. How do we live with suffering? And one of the things 
that came out of last week was a statement that he made that at first it seemed kind of unusual and weird. What does he mean? And, and if you look with me at chapter 3, he says that, verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Like, okay, I'm in the midst of it, and you want me to sanctify the Lord God in my heart? Well, remember I said to you last week that it's about you setting up Jesus, setting him apart, that's what sanctify means, as Lord in your life. Now, what has that got to do with anything? Because when you're in the midst of going through stuff, yeah, you want to believe Jesus will be there, but we're, what, half-hearted, we're double-minded, we're, we, we're not completely focused on Jesus as being our complete hope and getting through it because we're looking in other ways to help us through our problem. And Peter is saying, look, you need to set Jesus up as the one who will, what, guide you through this. So that brings us to where we're at today. That brings us to verses 18 through 22, because now he's going to explain why you need to set Jesus up. Why you need to be putting your hope and your faith in the midst of all that you're going through in Jesus. Because I want you to understand something. Jesus just didn't die so you could go to heaven later on and just have to bear with whatever here. When Jesus died on the cross, his, his death and his resurrections has implications for you right now in the midst of what you're going through. And it's not just some future hope. It actually gives you hope in the midst of what you're going through. So I want you to notice with me. First Peter, if you're looking at your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen as well. Look with me at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once at the divine long suffering waited in the day of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through the water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Now, we just read those verses, and I'm sure some of you are like, okay, wow, that's a lot of stuff there. What does that all mean? Well, let me kind of break it down for you, because there's some powerful truths here that are going to help you to set Jesus up in your heart as Lord when you're in the midst of what you're going through. So here's what we're going to see. First of all, in verse 18, we're going to see our example. What do you mean our example? We're going to see the example of Jesus as the one who suffered, just like you're suffering right now, except his suffering was beyond that, and he had a purpose in his suffering. 
Then we're going to look and see what his accomplishments were. What do you mean his accomplishments? His accomplishments for you and I. What, are, what is the significance of that? That has a lot of significance for you right now in the midst of what you're going through. So let's take a look at it. First of all, look with me at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. I'm going to point out three things here. First of all, Jesus suffered for the sins of the world. All right, stop for a moment, all right? Hey, have you ever, you ever gone through something? First of all, let's make a delineation here. I am not talking about going through something because you did something stupid. Okay? Everybody know that? If you're, you're the blame for the stuff you're going through, I have nothing to say to you. Okay? Because you created the kerfuffle. All right? And there are consequences. We're not talking about consequences here. But I am talking to you because maybe you're like the rest of us and stuff happens. Somebody hit into your car and destroyed it and they don't have insurance. Now what do you do? You get a disease and the doctor tells you something that's not good. You get a pink slip at work. You weren't expecting it, but for some reason they decided six months ago that today was the day that you needed to get laid off. Stuff happens that we don't know how to deal with. It, and and we're, we're innocent in the stuff that we go through. You know what I'm talking about? Being innocent in the suffering and the hardships that we go through. And we're wondering how can we deal with that? Well, folks, that's Jesus, isn't it? Jesus is perfect. Jesus didn't sin. But Jesus was, what, taken and cruelly and unjustly killed, but he ultimately did it for who? For you and I and our sins. See, when I set Jesus up as the Lord in my life, I am recognizing that Jesus is one like me who has gone through and the same things that I go through, who has suffered needlessly, but he suffered needlessly for us. So the first thing you're going to see here about our example in Jesus is, is that he suffered for the sins of the world. Here's the second thing, and I think this is, this is something you need to grasp a hold of. There's a reason why he did that. There's a reason why he went through what he went through. The reason why he bore with it. And it's this, that he suffered in order to bring us to God. Look at what it says there in verse 18. It says, that he might bring us to God. He endured the suffering so that you can go to him. Go to him. Hey, that reminds me. Let me just kind of, I'm going to flip over, flip back to Hebrews chapter 4. Let me, let me read this to you. We're going to talk about somebody understanding what you're going through. And, and look at what he did for us. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. All right, hold fast to what we believe. Here's what we believe. For we do not have a high priest 
who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Remember I told you we're weak when we're in the midst of suffering? Remember I told you that we want to throw in the towel, right? Isn't that where we're at? He's saying here, the writer of Hebrews is saying that this Jesus that, that Peter is calling you to set up as Lord in your life when you're going through it, he understands, he sympathizes with the stuff that you're going through right now. Look what it says. But in all points was tempted as we are, yet without sin. So because of that, look at what he says. He's, he, because he suffered for us, we now have been brought to God. Look at what that means for us in verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. What does that mean? All right. What's the first reaction you have when you're in the midst of it? Help! God help me, right? Get me out of this problem. Solve this issue. Let me win the lottery. That's not a help. That's a problem. Okay? Now, listen to me. Peter comes along and says to you, Set him up, sanctify in your hearts Jesus Christ. That is, set apart Jesus in your life as Lord. Why? Because he died for you. And in dying for you, he gave you access to who? God. And Hebrews tells us that by going to God, we can obtain what? Help, mercy, and grace in a time of need. Now, let me ask you something. When's the time of need? When you're suffering? When you're going through it? when you're facing the difficulties that you are overwhelmed with. And because of Jesus, holding on to him in the midst of what you're going through, you can go to him and receive what from him? Mercy and grace. What's grace? Grace, my folks, is not mercy. It's getting what you don't deserve. It's the extra that's what I want you to see about our example. That's why you could set him up as Lord in your life. Look with me. Verse 18. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. What we see is, is th though he died physically, he was resurrected. So he's alive now. Face what you're doing. There's one more thing I want you to see, and this is what's so powerful. One more thing. Look with me. By whom... Also, he went and preached to the spirits in the prison. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's he talking about here now? All right, well, let me explain what he's doing here. And I'm going to tell you what it shows us about Jesus that's going to be powerful for you in the midst of what you are talking about. Okay. You ever had a conversation with somebody and you're talking about something, and, and, and one of you makes a comment about something, and the other person takes that comment and heads off on a rabbit trail. You know what I'm talking about? You could be talking about Christmas and ham, and how wonderful the ham is at Christmas, and the person who's sitting there saying, yeah, but you won't believe, I went to go get my ham at Walmart, and I went to Walmart there, and they didn't have the spiral cut, they just had those 
chunks of water that they called him and they went off on what in their discussion and you know when I went up there, there it was packed and, and I thought I would go through the electronic thing and they weren't all working and it's just a madhouse there what is that that's called a rabbit trail right Paul's having a rabbit trail here in the midst of our discussion but it's a God ordained rabbit trail because he tells us that when Jesus died and was resurrected. He not only brought us to God, but he also went and preached to the spirits. Now what's the spirits? Demons, evil angels that are in prison. It says he went and proclaimed to them. What What does that mean? Preach to them. What, preach to them salvation? No, they can't be saved. He proclaimed his victory. So here's the point I want to make. He proclaimed his victory over evil. He proclaimed his victory over evil. Okay, stop for a moment. All right, I'm going to ask you a question. How big is your God? How big is your God? Well, what's that got to do with anything, George? No, no, how big is your God? Is he bigger than the stuff you're going through right now? Is he bigger than... The job issue? Is he bigger than the financial issue? Is he bigger than the relationship issue? How, how big is your God? Can God handle those issues? What we see here with this rabbit trail that he's talking about here is that he went and proclaimed his victory over evil. Let me ask you a question. Would you say the evil that you're facing right now, that's evil? Right? That's just flat out wrong that I'm going through this, right? Isn't that what we would say? Here's what I want you to see is, is that God is claiming the victory over that evil already. We say, I'm still going through it, and the last problem I went through, that didn't work out too well for me. No, no, folks, you've got a short-term view of things. And you've got to start getting a bigger view of things. A longer-term view of things. What do you mean a longer-term view of things? You need to quit looking at life just being right now, but looking at life as being forever. And one day, in that forever, you're going to look beyond, behind you and say, I am glad that is all done. I am done with that. He'll wipe away every tear. He'll make everything right. He's given me the victory. See, that's the reality. I put him up. I put my hope in him because no matter what I go through, I still have him. And he's won the victory over the enemy. Here's the second accomplishment. Second accomplishment. Through his resurrection, he brings about inner transformation. Through his resurrection, he brings about inner transformation. What are you talking about, George? Because he's talking about Noah and the ark and baptism. What does that all mean? Well, let's look here. Look with me. Verse 20, he's first talking about these evil spirits that he proclaimed victory over. But then notice what it says. While the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through the water. Verse 21, there is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. But he's not talking about water baptism. Not the removal of filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. 
Here's what else he accomplished for you and I. Okay? See, okay, let's stop for a moment. Does everybody recognize we've baptized people here in, in our baptismal pool? You maybe have been baptized here. Okay? When you get baptized, baptism doesn't clean you unless you came dirty. All right? Don't tell me that. All right? All right? That you're not getting in the pool to be washed, all right? You're getting in the baptism pool to express a symbol. What? That the outward representation of baptism is expressing an inward reality. That when you came to Jesus, he made you what? New. He gave you a new hope, a new perspective, a new destiny. See, he transformed you from the inside out. See, that's what he accomplished. Through his suffering, he didn't just bring us to God. He didn't just give us victory over the enemy that is bothering us through our suffering. He transformed you from the inside out. You said, okay, wait a minute, George. What does that got to do with what I'm going through right now? It's got everything to do with what you're going through right now. Because when he transformed you, here's what he did. He gave you a new heart and a new mind. He gave you an understanding of what he wants from your life. He also gave you the, the ability and to know how to handle things. Because how does the world know how to handle stuff when it gets, gets crazy outside? They react, ah! and they respond out of that reaction, right? Well, yeah, that's what I'm doing. No, no, no. Maybe you shouldn't be doing that. Maybe you should be going to God and saying, God, how do you want me to respond to what I'm doing here? Give me wisdom to know how to deal with this. Give me grace, because now you have the ability to do that. Why? Because you've been transformed. And notice he uses the word good conscience. You can, you can approach what you're going through with a what? Transformed good conscience. And then he gives us one other point that you and I can hang our hats on. We find it in verse 22. He says this. Who has gone into heaven, this is talking about Jesus, and is the the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Now remember my question, how big's your God? Remember I asked you that, how big's your God? Here's my next question. Who is your God? Well, my God's the same as your God, George. No, no, no. Who is your God? What I'm talking about is what is your view of him? Do you understand what I'm saying? What's your view of him? Because my God is the God of verse 22. My God is Jesus who sits on the right hand and everything is subject to him. In fact, everything is subject to him. And just so you understand what everything is, everything includes the junk that I'm going through right now. It's subject to him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that the cancer that maybe you're struggling with is subject to Jesus? Do you believe that the financial difficulty that you're going through is subject to Jesus? That's what I want you to see here, because here's the point. Through his resurrection, excuse me, Jesus has authority over everything. 
Jesus has authority over everything. That's why when I'm in the midst of it and I'm going through what I'm going through, I can be okay with that in Christ because I know that he's the one who's in control of what's going on in my life and nothing can happen to me except that which he allows for me because he's ultimately thinking about me and what I will become. That's why Peter will later say, it doesn't matter if they kill your body, you're okay. You have Jesus. See, the problem is, is that when we're in the midst of it, okay, so let me think back. It won't take long. Think back to the last thing that I was freaking out about. Okay, I'll tell you what it was. You guys know, remember, I was just getting ready to go on a trip overseas, and I, uh, the people who were sending me overseas let me rent a vehicle, and I rented a vehicle from the airport in State College, and... And on my way to the airport, I stopped and I had uh, dinner with my son Sawyer. And I thought, oh, I got plenty of time. I'll get to the airport in plenty of time. I'll get to the airport and I'll have four hours just to sit and be bored at the airport. So I left Sawyer at his school and I was cruising down the road. And, and you know what? These things are a blessing, but they can also be a curse. So I'm listening to the GPS and the GPS says, Heavy traffic up ahead. Take this detour and save 15 minutes. Okay, 15 minutes. I've got four hours to wait. I want to save 15 minutes. So I take the detour. Take the detour and it takes me down some country road. I hit a pothole and guess what? I have a flat. <laughs> so I pull over and I'm thinking, great. I'll just... Got to put the spare on now. Lift up the trunk. Guess what? It's one of those vehicles they make now where there's no spare tire in them. So I call. Well, sir, there's a flat repair kit in there. Oh, that's wonderful, except the blowout is on the sidewall, which doesn't work. So now I start to panic. Because I'm on a flight that I can't get refunded for, that is a long flight going overseas. I start panicking. So guess what I do? Guess what I always do when I'm panicking? I call Lori. <laughs> okay. I call Lori. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? She sees a lot of me. You guys never see of me, okay? And... Uh, That's a normal human response. When I should have been listening to my own preaching here. Because is my God big enough? Will he not give me wisdom? Will he not guide me? And I got there. And I got back. And I can look back on it now and say, that was silly. I mean, I was even panicking, like, I'm, I'm in a ride. I'm, I, of all things, I got Uber. Is there Uber in the middle of Pennsylvania? Where Yeah, there's Uber everywhere, believe me now. I figured that out, and the guy's taking me to the airport. I'm like, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. I get to the desk, and the guy says, I'm sorry, Mr. Cannon, we're overbooked. <gasps> but we're going to put you in first class. Wonderful. Huh? Yes. <laughs> yes, okay. All right. What am I trying to tell you? He has authority over everything. 
Quit panicking. He's our example. He's accomplished much for you. Think about what he's accomplished for you. He has victory over evil. He's transformed your life to be able to handle what you're going through. And he has authority over it all. So let me ask you a question. Who's bigger? Your problem or God? Who's bigger? Yeah, hopefully you say God, but don't we make our problem big? So what do we do with this? These are the same two points I gave you last week. I want you to think about them this week. Number one, you have to consider how you're responding to the suffering in your life. How are you responding? Only you know that. Maybe some of the people who are close to you, who live with you, know how you respond. Like, I can tell you right now, I told you Lori knows stuff about me because I can look okay to you, but I could be a mess at home, you know? And she knows that. My family knows that. How, how, how do you respond? Consider how you're responding. What's it reflecting? I'll tell you what it's reflecting. We've already talked about it before. One of the big things it reflects is that we don't trust God and we're struggling with unbelief. Would you agree with that? We don't trust God and we struggle with unbelief. You have to consider how you're responding to the suffering in your life. So here, here's the second one. Recognize that you're not alone because the Lord watches over you. Recognize that you are not alone, but the Lord watches over you. See, that comes out of verse 12 in chapter 3. He says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. Do you realize that? That God is always looking at you, even in the midst of what you're going through? He knows exact. In fact, he knows more than you know about that situation. He knows more than you know about what you're going through and what you're experiencing right now. And his ears are always open to you what? Praying. The problem is, is we don't pray, do we? We don't talk with him. I mean, <clears throat> I'm a parent. I have four kids. Sometimes I see them go through things, and, and I know that I can help them. But in their independence, they, they don't come and ask until it gets really bad. Then they come and ask. Now, I don't do this, but here's what I'm thinking. Why didn't you come sooner? Why didn't you come sooner? Because that's, that's a loving father, right? I don't say that to them. I, just, I guess I just did, right? With two of them. Why didn't you come sooner? I know Lori feels that way. Why didn't you come sooner? God's that way. Why did you spend so many nights not sleeping at all, worrying about what you were worrying about when I could give you peace, he says. You just needed to come to me. 
Recognize that you're not alone. The Lord watches over you. Some of you needed to hear that today. Let me pray for you.